Who is James the Hairless Ape Broderick? What is even ancestral health anyways? These are some of the questions that I'm going to cover in the very first episode of Ancestral Health Radio, episode 000 with James Kevin Broderick. This is going to illuminate some of the strategies and the ideas that I have regarding ancestral health and at the heart of ancestral health for me lies rewilding, which is the process of undoing domestication. We will also go into that, but more so, I want to share my story. I want to let you guys know exactly who I am so you guys can build a little bit of rapport with me. You know, I know there are some of these people out there that almost have a guru or expert-like status, and it's almost impossible for you to relate to them. I am exactly the opposite. I'm going to share my struggles uh, more than anything, my struggles, um, and a lot of my wins in order to help illuminate your path on your own personal rewilding journey. Uh, We're in this together. You know, I'm not an expert. I'm someone who came in through this through the paleo perspective. Um, The diet really, really helped me in a lot of ways. And uh, I'll delve into that more later. But again, I want this to kind of be about my story and maybe some of the strategies that I'm using today that are helping me rewild my own lifestyle. So without further ado, uh, this is episode 000 of Ancestral Health Radio with your host, James Kevin Broderick. Ancestral Health Radio bridges the divide between our modern technology and inherent ancestral wisdom. Learn to align your genetic makeup for peak health, fitness, and longevity with actionable how-to advice from today's leaders in nutrition, movement, and lifestyle. Take a walk on the wild side. I guess I should begin at the pit, right? That's what they tell you to do. Kind of go into the most visceral, dark, deepest place of your story to help build a very strong connection with your audience. So when I think about that pit time for me, I know we all have one. We probably all hit rock bottom somewhere in our own lives. And for me personally, it was uh, a fateful day in March uh, 2008. I heard a knock on the door, and it was maybe 5 o'clock in the morning, so I just I rested my head back down, no big deal. If it was important, obviously they would hit me back up later. Uh, but to my dismay, um, maybe two minutes later, I just heard an explosion. It was wood cracking under the force of a ram from the local police department. My apartment, I knew immediately what was happening. My apartment was getting raided. Uh, at the time, I was selling, uh, not drugs, well, it was drugs, it was marijuana, um, and I was addicted to prescription opiates, specifically OxyContin. Uh, I, I really honestly have to say that that moment changed my life forever. Um, Without that ridiculous time, without my apartment being raided by the local police for a little over the legal limit of marijuana was absolutely absurd. And it, but again, it it took a traumatic event like this to alterly, or excuse me, radically alter the path of my life. And uh, let me back up a little bit and explain exactly how I got to this moment. Um, 
earlier in my life when I was a child, um, I bounced back and forth between my grandmother's house in Southern California and my mom's house, which was in Shreveport, Louisiana. And um, my dad, he was there. He uh, he was an entrepreneur, uh, a Hispanic gentleman named Javier Alejandre. And, you know, I... He didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of direction, I guess you could say. And my dad was only partially there, but he was a good man, amazing man. Um, more on that story in a bit. But um, I was bouncing back and forth between my mom's house and my grandmother's house. I call her Nana. She's my Nana. And, um, you know, it was difficult for me. I guess I was a little bit of an angry child. And the traditional school system, I wouldn't say failed me, but... Um, I just personally did not fit in that type of mold. I don't know if you can relate to that, but uh, it just wasn't quite right for me. And in the beginning, you know, I had a real hard time with fitting in and trying to make friends. After all, I was, uh, you know, uh, blue hair or blue haired. I had red hair, blue eyes, cleft in my chin, pale skin. I mean, I felt different. I was left hand, you know, I'm left handed. I mean, everything about me seemed um, unorthodox compared to all my peers. And then on top of that, when I was in Louisiana, I was held back in first grade for um, not being able to read. So it wasn't that I couldn't read. It was, well, it was that I couldn't read. Uh, the story went something like this. I, um, in kindergarten, when all the children are learning their ABCs, and then in first grade, you're learning how to put those sounds of the ABCs together to create words. Unfortunately, I was still in the kindergarten phase. So they put me back into kindergarten. I'm so happy for that because um, reading and writing is uh, an extreme passion of mine. Although you won't find me doing too much of it these days because it is agonizing. But again, um, you know, I was a year behind all of my peers or ahead of my peers, essentially, you know, I was, a, I was the older kid, so I was bigger, you know, and it was funny because I ended up being somewhat of a, um, I don't know what you, I, I guess a bully, but it was more like a bully to the bullies where I know that children would come up to me knowing that I was bigger. I had red hair, I guess, you know, I had a fiery temper and a lot of angst, you know, wherever that came from. And I, <laughs> I would use that anger and I would take it out on the kids who were bullying the other kids, right? So I was, I don't know, a young vigilante. I don't know what you would call that. But this got me into a lot of trouble when I was younger and labeled me as somewhat of a problem child. You know, I don't know if you guys remember that movie uh, in the 90s, Problem Child. Kid had red hair. It was ridiculous. I mean, I related to that child, or at least that movie, 100%. And as I got older, you know, um, it's not like things got worse. It was just that in, in the traditional school system, I was uh, one of the troubled kids, you know, one of the emotionally disturbed children or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And um, really, it was, you know, I, I had my group of friends and I did pretty well in school up until about fourth, fifth grade until I got into middle school. And that's when, uh, again, you know, kids start fighting for popularity and I was different. You know, I felt different. It was hard for me to fit in. And, um, and so, you know, I had a plethora of different kinds of friends, but I was, I was definitely lucky enough to grow up with, um, four 
five kids in my neighborhood that were really, really close to me. And this was during a time when we would be outside playing, jumping, playing something called Army Commando out, out at the park, doing making our own little obstacle course races on the, on the jungle gym. It was really fun. You know, it was the time when, you know, you had to be home at five o'clock to eat dinner and you had to be inside before the streetlights came on or when the streetlights came on, maybe a little after, you know what I mean? But other than that, it was, um, it was a real good time. I remember it was the nineties for me. I was a nineties kid. Um, and, um, you know, I'm 30, 31 today. Um, I'll be 32 next year in March. And, you know, my life has drastically changed because of a few things that have happened to me. Uh, I guess you could say in middle school, um, I got into a lot of fights. Um, again, wasn't labeled very well in school simply because of those fights and my disobedience, I guess you could say. And it was difficult, again, for me to learn in that type of scenario. I would find myself in, in detention every day after school for an hour, you know, uh, room 21, I believe, with Miss Pearl. Miss Pearl and I became real good friends. But um, it wasn't until high school you know, which is kind of interesting. It wasn't until high school that I really started to connect deeper with, with some kids. And I guess that's the time when we're really trying to fit in, right? Really, really trying to fit in. So I was trying to find my place in the world. And, uh, that's when I started smoking weed. I started smoking marijuana. You know, this is kind of a pivotal moment. If you know, you're, you're not okay with me talking about this, that's fine. Maybe this isn't the podcast for you, but I'm going to explain my story because it's relevant. And during this time, um, you know, I made a strong pact with the other outsider kids, I guess you could say the rebels, the black sheep. And, um, you know, we'd skip class, go smoke weed and skateboard. You know, that was the thing that we did. We were Southern California kids. Of course, that's what we did, you know? And, uh, you know, as time went on, I kind of realized that I didn't really like buying weed. I, I just liked smoking it. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, I ended up saving a little bit of cash, getting a little bit of money together and purchasing some marijuana and sold it to some of my friends at school. And in high school, you get a lot of friends, or at least, you know, I had a lot of friends and it was probably because I sold weed. And during that time, you know, I did really well for myself. And this, this, you know, obviously isn't a healthy relationship for, for a teenager to be having, you know, uh, but I think I had that entrepreneurial spirit before me from my father. My dad really kind of uh, impressed on me. He was he, he sold magazines and um, was an immigrant from Mexico. And it was really important to me that, you know, I, I don't know, subconsciously that I live up to some kind of standard. I'm not sure, but I, I see myself obviously doing that today with this podcast as well. But uh, I digress. Uh, this led me on to obviously skipping more class than going to class. And eventually I was moved to a, uh, a continuation school. And from there, um, I, I just left 36 credits shy of graduating high school. So, um, you know, that's always weighing heavy on my mind. And that's, that's part of the reason why it's taken me so long personally to publish this episode to, continue building this relationship with 
online people and doing and, and doing the dream that I know that, you know, I'm basically I'm, I'm, I'm on the path that I know that I should be on. And it's difficult for me to do this because it's, I've never really been too successful at any one thing in my life other than selling marijuana. And even that came to a, a, a fiery end, right? And I'm getting to that. So I ended up dropping out of high school and strictly selling marijuana and I was doing real well. Um, you know, selling selling marijuana and living at my grandmother's house, essentially rent free. Um, I lived a ridiculous lifestyle. You know, there were you know, I remember at one point where I was buying diesel jeans. You know, image was a big thing to me back then. You know, still I really wanted to fit in. Image was this huge thing for me, and so there are these designer jeans called diesel. And these diesel jeans are uh, very expensive, high-end designer jeans. Each one of these pairs of jeans are maybe $250, $300 pair of jeans, right? I remember going into South Coast Plaza, which is in Orange County. It's an extremely famous high-end mall. And I would go in there every so often, and eventually the diesel store people, the, the employees, had to tell me that, listen, we don't have any more of these jeans that you don't already have in season. You know, like you just, you have them all, man. They had to have known I was selling weed or something, you know, always purchasing these <laughs> or, you know, some kind of drug dealer or something, not looking back at it in retrospect. But, um, you know, it, it was just a ridiculous time for me. You know, um, I, I didn't have, I didn't care about money. Money didn't mean a thing to me. Relationships I thought could be bought the people that I surrounded myself were all fake. Um, not all of them. I still have a lot of really, really close friends that I've had growing up through high school. But, you know, during this time I was in a band, you know, I had, I had girlfriends, those never lasted more than a year. And, um, you know, what ended up happening is I remember specifically, you know, I was in uh, my first studio apartment and I had just broken up with one of my girlfriends. My best friend comes over, um, you know, with a couple of his friends and my best friend at the time, he sold pills, prescription medication. And it was just kind of funny that, you know, I had gone down the medicinal path of natural herbs and he kind of gone down the prescription path of whatever the hell he was doing. Right. And there are so many ridiculous stories that I could share with you one on one that I, I'll probably share with <laughs> other people on the show, maybe, you know, if it ever comes up. But again, wild lifestyle. And I remember this specifically, but he had something called OxyContin. Right. And, you know, he got the outside wet with the paper towel. I should probably shouldn't be explaining this, but I am, you know, rubbed off the coating. We cracked it into four pieces and then put it onto some tinfoil and smoked it looking like, you know, some serious drug addicts. Right. And it I mean, from the very moment, unfortunately, I was hooked. You know, uh, it was um, it was really unfortunate because it was me and one other person and she and I, you know, start began a relationship and it was just a deep, dark hole. You know, we were both in spots that, that were very, very negative, and we probably should not have been together, or at least, you know, not in, in the circumstances that we were in. And so that was the beginning of my addiction to OxyContin. And, you know, I just remember without delving too far deep into that, well, and, you know, maybe I should because I know that, that that's, you know, it's probably the darkest moment in my life is that, you know, there were moments where I would 
be smoking these pills. And mind you, I had to be smoking them in the bathroom. I had to be smoking them in the bathroom. And I didn't like anybody knowing that I was doing it. But unfortunately, I had to have somebody light it for me because every time I would smoke one of these, I would get immediately sick to my stomach. And I had to be by a toilet. Otherwise, I was going to be throwing up all over the place. And my fear, my fear was that I had become so addicted and that my friends had become so accustomed to me throwing up over this toilet that what if one of these times I had smoked one of these and I had just, I had choked, you know, I, I got stuck, suffocated and I died. You know, what if I was just face down in a bowl of vomit water, you know, dead, who would I be then? What kind of dreams would I have then? It was really, really depressing for me. I was at a point where I felt hopeless. It, it was um, hard for me to really describe. Um, it, basically, you know, I was selling weed. I was addicted to opiates. At that time, you know, I got kicked out of my band. My aunt died from cirrhosis of the liver. I mean, this is just to kind of illustrate you what the illustrate the moment where I was at, where it needed, where I personally needed to change, where something awakened inside of me. And, you know, it was, it was crazy because again, I was selling weed. I was addicted to to opiates. My, my aunt, my favorite aunt died. My aunt Cindy, she passed away and, you know, she had a lot of addiction problems. Basically four out of six of my aunts and uncles, uh, my mom and my uncle excluded have died from health and drug related illness. Uh, it's, it's a big subject for me. You know, um, I lived in, or- you know, I lived in, I basically essentially grew up in Orange County, you know, because after that short stint in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana with my mom, permanently moved over, over here in California, specifically in Southern California and where all this took place. And, um, you know, it, it was a, an insane time, you know, when my apartment got raided, that's when I had lost everything, including the respect of the, the respect and trust of my family. I'd, I'd hit rock bottom. You know, I felt used by the people that I surrounded myself with. I felt misunderstood. How come no one understood where I was at, at that time? How come they couldn't feel the pain that I was in and that I was trying? I was really trying to do better. And I was depressed because I was isolated. I isolated myself. I didn't want anybody to, to know what I was doing, although it was probably so clear, so clear. I remember it was Thanksgiving and, you know, I knew that I had to show, I had to go to meet, see my family. You know, I was avoiding them like the plague. And I remember sitting down at the, at, at the dinner table, eating and then immediately having to go into the backyard as quick as I can to throw up. And that was the moment where I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. You know, this is this has to stop. And I knew that I needed to stop, but I knew that I couldn't. Because that drug is uh it's something fierce, man. I've never I've never experienced, you know, I've experimented with a lot of things in that drug. It, you know, I I don't even understand how it's a prescription, how they can legally give that to people. I personally have lost many friends due to that drug, specifically my best friend, Brad Granger.
I do this not only for myself, you know, but I do it for everybody who suffers out there and I know that there's a path. Because at that time I was ashamed, I was angry, I was hopeless, and I felt helpless. And I think that's the moment that catalyzes us to be moving in the right direction. Something needs to get us, needs to traumatize us. You know, we need to hit something before we can, you know, we need to hit the ground. Uh, You know, it reminds me of, you know, Batman, you know, as funny as it sounds, you know, how the night is always darkest before the dawn. You know, Bruce, why do we fall down so that we can learn to pick ourselves up? And it was interesting because after all this happened, I was sentenced with a felony, possession and sales of marijuana. Uh, There was a gentleman who I, I had let, you know, he got kicked out of his house. And so he left some of his things at my house. Uh, you know, there was like eight, 18 tabs of ecstasy or something in his clothing, you know, that I had to fight. I told them fingerprint it, do saliva tests, whatever the hell they had to do to make sure that that was not mine. Um, they dropped that, but it, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was insane. And this led me, um, you know, this led me to an inter- interesting point in my life because I had to finish a six-month in-house rehabilitation program in San, not in Santa Ana, excuse me, in Anaheim, California, called the Hope House, which we uh, we hysterically named the Hell House because this was nothing short of it was what 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 they call a behavior modification program, and I was sentenced there for 160 days, which is six months or 180 days, uh, and it was six months time and. It was one of the most challenging and difficult things I had ever had to do in my life. And three weeks before my graduation, I was kicked out for late paperwork. I mean, you know, this is probably another victim mentality uh, of me, but, you know, it, it, it was a very hard time in my life. But after that moment, I, I had stayed clean from everything for two years. And then I do want to say that I did try OxyContin again, and it, you know it gave me the same effect as as I did as I had back then. You know, even at a lower dose, and I threw up, and it was all over. It was it was like the final relapse. I would never do that again. I would never ever put myself in that situation, or my family, or my friends, or I. I just could never do that to myself again. Um, but it was interesting because after I got out of the Hope House. I had done, you know, 80 hours of community service at working wardrobes um, and then uh, paid restitution fees, um, had done a bunch of other things, uh, you know, uh, three-year formal probation. Uh, it was it was an int- intense experience for someone who, you know, had really felt victimized, you know, who, who really was selling weed and then it was in a very, very bad place for himself. And... You know, during this time, it was weird because I had purchased a book, and this is this is kind of funny. This is the entry into, I guess you could say, my self-development era, which was uh, I purchased a book called The Game by Neil Strauss, and I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes, but it, it was just kind of a, a, you know, I was feeling bad about myself and, and when I was in jail, and I had spent time in jail for, for, uh, for what I had done. You know, all I could think about was how I wanted to get better. What could I personally do right now 
to take charge of my life. You know, I had run my life into the ground and, you know, in retrospect, I had looked at my family and I realized, oh my God, this was the same path that they had gone down. You know, every single one of, you know, my family members on my grandmother's side had gone down this same kind of addictive, self-destructive pattern of, uh, you know, it, it was just all bad news, right? Like, you, I'm sure a lot of you listening right now may have had the sim, may have had similar stories, maybe not to the same extreme, maybe more extreme. But um, I'm telling you this so that you can kind of just understand where I'm coming from, and why this is so important to me. Um, so again, you know, four to six of my aunts and uncles on my mom's side have passed away from drug and health related illness, and um, it was. It was an eye opener for me because when I thought about it in those terms, that Jesus, James, you, you know, you almost died. You could have killed yourself, and it was only luck that saved you. And, um, you know, is I just knew that the first thing that I wanted to do was reclaim my health. I knew that I had. It was it's so funny because I had a list of things that I knew that I wanted to get as soon as I got out. Of jail, and it was funny because I, I I still remember exactly what those were, and it was I wanted glasses. I needed glasses. I wanted to get a real job. I like I wanted to work and earn my money. Um, I had to get my driver's license. Believe it or not, I was twenty three and had never gotten my driver's license. I lived in Southern California. How do you do that? Um, and then I wanted, you know, I wanted to get back with my band. You know, I played death metal. I was a vocalist. I'd scream my heart out played in front of lots of people. It was super fun. Uh, but more than anything, I wanted to improve my health and show others that I wasn't some loser. You know what I mean? I wasn't some dropout, stereotypical loser. Um, you know, and it's hard for me to say this kind of stuff because, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work on on my self-talk and, and the things that I say to myself at this point. But Again, uh, a very dark and hard period in my life, but it was a catalyst and it was absolutely necessary for my change. And so I had to get angry with myself in the situation that I had put myself and everyone else around me in. I knew that I had to isolate myself from the people I called friends, at least in the very beginning. At least in the very beginning. I knew that I had to strictly work on myself and feel the emotions that essentially I wasn't allowing myself to feel for the years and years and years that I were I was doing drugs and masking those feelings or, or escaping those feelings or whatever it was. And um, if environment was everything, I needed to sever ties with certain family members as well too. You know, so during this time, you know, I, you know, I worked several odd and end jobs. But more importantly, I worked at this place called Mother's Market and Kitchen. It was this vegan and vegetarian health food store in Huntington Beach. There's there's several of them in Orange County, but uh, they have you know they have a body care department. They usually have a restaurant, grocery uh, with all organic produce, um, uh, and a lot of other items, right? Including my area, which was supplements. So they had a huge supplement area. And this was this was transformative. This was some of the best years of my entire life was spending with these people who were so like-minded with me, who had such a passion and desire to learn and to become better individuals every single day through their health. 
and learning and teaching other people about their health. So every day my job was to go to work, learn about my health, and then help people with theirs. That's what I did as a natural uh, supplement retailer, I guess you could say. So I helped everybody from people with cancer to prostate issues to, uh, you know, to digestive issues. Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe how many people are just so easygoing about talking about their poop. (laughs) So um, it's really kind of ridiculous. But, you know, through that company, through Mother's Market, I owe so much of my education because we would do these, um, we would do like these trainings, you know, we would do these trainings at Mother's Market with some of the world's greatest and smartest uh, supplement formulators. So these guys had spent their entire life in the natural food industry, and they were spilling their guts to us for free while we got to eat some amazing dinner at Disneyland or some kind of raw food place. It was just amazing. And um, a lot of, you know, some people I noticed, you know, just worked at Mother's as a job. You know, I didn't just work at Mother's as a job. Mothers to me was my lifestyle. It's it's where I got my start to feeling vibrant and healthy and feeling confident about myself again. But again, back to um, during this time, you know, I I, I know I kind of just breezed over the game by Neil Strauss. But during this time, I had read that book, and this book was about the art of pickup. So it was learning how to not seduce women, um, because a lot of these things back then, those books, those um, pickup books at that time were very formulaic and it didn't just, you know, if you weren't the right kind of person, it just wasn't going to work for you. You know, you couldn't just have this scripted um, thing and it would just work for you every time. But what it did make me realize is that it wasn't about seducing women or anything like that or attracting women. It was more about what kind of person could you become, James? What, like, what kind of individual can you become to attract the right kind of people in your life? You know, regardless of who that might be, what kind of relationship that might be, whether it's business or intimate, whatever, it was just learning how to become your best self, putting your best foot forward, and then minimizing uh, all those little things that that you found distracting about yourself or that you didn't quite like or didn't quite, you know, stand up. You know, just the little things that nagged at you, you, you kind of learned how to minimize that while maximizing the, the optimal qualities of your life. And... That's kind of what I learned through that time. It was funny because I, you know, I remember getting a ton of numbers <laughs> from from girls at that time, but you know, I never even called them. I never even called them. As a matter of fact, I was going through some of my stuff, purging um, a lot of my documents the other day, and I, I found the bag. I don't, I don't even know. It, it, you know, I went through it, and I, I've been in a uh, monogamous relationship with my girlfriend for five plus years now, and it's just hilarious to me that, you know. I, I open this bag up and there is just literally like 30, 40 different phone numbers in this thing, you know, and I'm telling her, oh, look at this one, you know, it, it was crazy. But again, uh, it was learning how to become my best self, also um, learning uh, about my body through reductionalism, I guess you could say, learning um, the individual components first, you know, so I got really heavy into biology and that taught me a lot about myself and, and also how to deal with others, treat, you know, talk with others, body language. Um, it was a very, very important time in my life was Mother's Market. I, I, owe, I owe a lot of my, you know, who I am today to the people that I spent a lot of my time with over there. Jay, uh, Knock, geez, uh, 
less. I mean, everybody there at that time were amazing. And, you know, I, I don't know if that was the golden age of mother's vitamin department or whatever, but it was, again, you could go there and people would go to mother's market specifically just to speak to us about their health. And we could spend anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half speaking with one person. But again, um, you know, that didn't last forever. That didn't last forever. I was still learning about myself, right? So I got comfortable in that job. I started showing up late. My priorities weren't necessarily where they should be at. Although I was, you know, living a more healthy lifestyle, it was funny because a lot of people that I still surrounded myself, you know, we still went out every Friday and Saturday night, got shit faced, you know what I mean? Doing stupid things. And then, you know, we would come back to work smoking cigarettes, drinking kombucha in the back. You know, it wasn't a very conducive lifestyle, but during this time I came in to a lot of different concepts through reading, through books, through trainings and seminars, and a lot of the time through the individuals that would come into mothers. And um, somewhere along the lines, I had heard of the caveman diet. You know, it wasn't the paleo diet, it was called the caveman diet, and people were eating raw meat or barely searing it, and um, they were eating a lot of different types of... Um, interesting foods, I guess you could say. It wasn't quite modernized as it is today. And, you know, as soon as I heard heard about that, it just clicked for me. Like a light bulb went on and it just kind of made sense. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Why hadn't people been thinking about this earlier? You know, of course we should be eating a biologically adaptive diet. That just makes sense, right? And, you know, I, it was funny though, even though it made sense, I didn't really... I never really tried it, you know, and it was funny because I drew correlation between the paleo diet and this kind of pickup world because in the pickup world, a lot of these guys were using um, behavioral knowledge from, um, you know, like they were using examples of primates and they were as cues in, in you know, how um, evolutionary biology gave cues as to how to attract and seduce different women, you know, so I was picking up on that. And that was like a big thing for me at the time, because that also made sense like, oh, okay, well, you know, obviously, if it's working for our ancestral kin, well, then it would probably work for us. I mean, we are, after all, biologically identical, uh, for the most part. And, you know, it was just interesting. So that led me down that path. Uh, but it wasn't until years later, it wasn't until uh, you know, I had quit mothers or rather got fired from mothers from slacking off, which, you know, is unfortunate, but was necessary. And, um, it wasn't until I really, really, really needed to take care of my health because, uh, it wasn't the drugs or anything like that. I wasn't, you know, doing any hard drugs or anything like that anymore, but you know, I, I had gone back to smoking marijuana. I wasn't selling it or anything like that. Uh, marijuana is still a part of my life today. Um, but, uh, moving past that, uh, you know, I needed to take, take care of myself because I started working for my girlfriend, um, her stepfather at a construction company. And so, you know, it was funny because also let me back up. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place, but, um, when I was working at mother's, I was eating clean, right? So I was taking care of my health, but I was eating, you know, heavy beans, rice, um, lots of dairy, things like that. Uh, I was still eating meat. I was never really converted into a vegan or vegetarian because again, that never, it never made sense to me. I understood that we were 
omnivorous creatures and that why would we, you know, I understood that we, we needed to kill to live. That's always been a part of my mentality, my consciousness. I understand that hunting to me is, it feels like a, a privilege. You know, it feels like uh, we should be hunting uh, simply because it is, and I'm, excuse me for my dog barking in the back. Um, it just, that always made sense to me as well. So I never quite fell into the vegan or vegetarian scene, although I was surrounded by it for many, many, many years. So, um, but it, but it wasn't until my construction job, you know, um, that I realized that, you know what, I really need to be working for myself. And during the time at Mother's too, I, I also made various products like, uh, different types of essential oils or skincare products like beard oil at the time before, you know, this whole lumber sexual thing was kind of a big deal. Um, and a lot of other type of things that just kind of failed, you know, but uh, it was that that entrepreneurial spirit was always still there within me. And, you know, as I went to work for some of these other places after mothers, you know, I was always still searching for a way to get into the natural food realm or health realm or whatever it is to kind of make an impact because I, I, I was dramatically changed. I wanted to be someone who helped others with their health. This was, this was my journey. This was my path. Um, I had found it, you know, I had come through so much, seen so much with my family that I knew that I never wanted to be in that same direction. And occasionally at mothers, there would be people who had suffered the same kind of thing. They were going through the same type of trauma that I went through and we connected on a whole different level and I was able to really break through to those people and make a big difference. But I wasn't ready. You know, during that time of my life, I wasn't ready. I was still pulling things together. Hey guys, real quick. After listening to this episode, I need you to answer two important questions for me. Number one, what is your biggest frustration when it comes to ancestral health and or rewilding? And number two, where do you go to get your information? What websites, blogs, or people online do you follow? That's it. So again, number one, what's your biggest frustration when it comes to ancestral health or rewilding? And number two, where do you go to get your information? By answering these two questions, you help me create the content I know you not only want, but need. So again, guys, thank you. That's it. I super appreciate it. You can email me your answers after the show at james at ancestralhealthradio.com. And again, um, while I was working at this construction job in Irvine, I needed to be strong. So I was going to the gym, I was lifting weights, doing all this kind of stuff, and I, was, I started to eat paleo. You know, so I started to really live that. And every day I was driving past the Entrepreneur Inc. building to and from my construction job. So that was always like this constant reminder of, hey, James, you know, um, uh, John Broderick, one of the most, one of the smarter people in my family. My cousin said to me when I was younger that, James, if you ever want to, uh, if you ever want to make the money you feel you deserve, you have to work for yourself. And I say this for everybody listening to, this is very important. Uh, you know, if you feel you are going to make the money that you truly deserve, you need to make money for yourself. And we're going to cover that in different in another episode with a friend of mine, exactly how you can do ex- what I'm doing, maybe living a passionate job that you love doing that provides you the freedom of um, living a rewilding lifestyle, because that's that's a big part of it, right? How do we find the freedom within this culture 
to rewild our life. And we'll go over that. But but um, during this time, I was going through like this entrepreneurial period. And uh, my father was an entrepreneur again. Um, but I was, regardless of what society was, an entrepreneur before that. And I went straight from, I remember this one time, right? I went straight from a job site to an internet marketing party and soiree in the Gaslamp District of San Diego. And let me tell you, I was like in my dirty construction clothes, in my boots <laughs> with the steel tips showing. I mean, I was totally out of the place. And I ended up sleeping that night in my SUV overnight to make it <laughs> to make it to work on time the very next day. It was crazy. Uh, I think this was like for the conversion in, uh, what was it, the Traffic and Conversion Summit in 2014. It was crazy. Um, but but that led me to some very interesting things because um, earlier that year, I had entered a business plan competition through a community college and lost. Uh, it gave me the insight to look for other opportunities online because the gentleman who beat me and it's funny because my business, okay, was a restaurant. It was called, um, it was called Bedrock, the Primal Kitchen, and obviously it was uh, a paleo-inspired restaurant. And this gentleman, his name was Summit, won the competition because he was running an online uh, company that essentially. What they told me, they said, James, you, you have a, a fantastic business idea. Unfortunately, uh, you know, restaurants are very volatile and they go under very easily, uh, but the market seems to be there for you. Unfortunately, though, Summit, we can, you know, think about it this way. We could give you this startup money and the startup money that we give you is only enough to pay for maybe a couple expensive bar stools for you. Okay, let's put it that way. Whereas if we give Summit this money, this $1,500, that's all it was. This $1,500, uh, this is going to start his whole business. This is going to get him up and going. And, you know, it took me a little bit to kind of put the pieces together, right? So what I ended up doing was actually downsizing because one of the, um, during this, uh, this business plan competition, one of the judges afterwards had told me, James, well, you know what? You know what's big right now is food trucks. Why don't you look into food trucks? Maybe you can just downsize it a little bit. And so, again, I came up with another business plan, and it was for bed, rock, and roll, you know, the primal food truck. <laughs> so, uh, and it's just so funny that now you have Mark Sisson, and he's got the primal kitchen totally branded all the way out with his new uh, dressings and all that kind of stuff. It just cracks me up. But, you know, it's, I've always kind of felt a little bit ahead of the curve, a little bit ahead of the curve. So <clears throat> it's funny because um, I didn't see it at the time. So I, you know, I looked into doing this food truck idea. I got all the business plan and still it was too much money. I mean, just for the food truck alone, it was some 70 grand. Okay. That wasn't for the wrap. That wasn't for, you know, hiring people uh, for the food, for anything else. That was simply for the truck. And that was just too much for me to handle at the time. Although, you know, I had gotten, um, I had gone through that whole business plan competition, met a lot of insightful and, and encouraging people. Um, but, but kind of came to the realization that even that was too much money to be throwing at it. So what could I do? Oh, downsize again, right? So what I ended up doing this time was I wanted to create primal primal bars, um, like protein bars. And they were like nut, nut bars with dates and cherries. And, um, I called them granite slabs and they were really, really good. Unfortunately though, working in a health food 
um, in the health food industry for quite some time, I knew that they weren't going to sell because they weren't shelf stable. The coconut oil that was holding them together wasn't going to be able to last on a regular shelf with the rest of the bars. So who was going to go into the refrigerated area to buy a protein bar? You know, it's just not good marketing. So I scrapped it. And then that's when it came to me. That's when I realized, oh my gosh, Summit. How is he going to make money online? How does he even do that? How does someone do that online? And that's when it began. You know, uh, it you know it quickly picked up. I started looking into blogging. Blogging turned into copywriting. Copywriting turned into email marketing. Email marketing turned into, I mean, you, you name it. it. Just it just went down the rabbit hole from there. And and that's when I went to the IM party in San Diego. You know, the in it was called the Basement Bar in the Gaslamp District for the Traffic Conver- Conversion Summit. Um, Later that year, I met up with uh, Chris Ducker, Amy Clover, Rick Mulready, and a lot of other budding online entrepreneurs for a mastermind meetup in Santa Monica at a kick-ass co-working space. Uh, that was, that was, oh my gosh, that was 2013. That was 2013. Uh, and then later down that year, I even took John Lee Dumas to dinner on the boardwalk at World Famous in Pacific Beach, San Diego, when he was still in San Diego, obviously. Uh, if you don't know these people, not a big deal, um, but uh, they were kind of influential in helping me, you know, validate my idea that I should be on this path, uh, uh, not necessarily on rewilding or ancestral health, I'm still getting there, but um, up to this point for the podcast. And, I, you know, unfortunately, guys, I you know, as soon as I learned this, you know, I created a blog called <clears throat> uh, Journey Verse Destination, you know, take the road less traveled. And that bombed. And I spent a ton of money putting, you know, I spent, psh, I mean, I remember I was starving for a long time just so that I could pay the website designer for a custom website design, which now looking back on it was just a terrible idea. You know, I didn't really need this fancy website or anything like that. I just needed to begin. So four years later, um, essentially, you know, I had spent five years learning about natural health and now four years learning about online marketing. Here I am today with this podcast. It, it, it's been, it's been crazy. I mean, I, I've looked at myself introspectively more than I feel a lot of people have to try and figure out what is stopping me from, from living this type of life. Um, because it's very difficult for me to record this episode, to put myself out there, because I've never truly succeeded in any one thing. I have a lot of self-doubt about myself, um, even though I've done a lot of work. And, you know, I know that it's important that that I that I tell you guys exactly how I got on this journey, specifically rewilding and uh, ancestral health. And as you can see, it is kind of dive, it is kind of um, converging together. And um, after that, you know, I realized after I realized that this is what I wanted to do, I knew that um, I was either going to move to one of two places, right? So it was either going to be in San Diego, where I know a lot of the other online entrepreneurs were, or I was going to move also to San Diego, or excuse me, not San Diego, but San Francisco, which is where I am today. And that was a five-year goal, and I made it in one year. Me and my girl, we went here, we did an Airbnb, loved it made it a plan and we moved. That was it. And um it it was uh it was crazy. You know, this it's it's been a wild ride because I've been trying to start a podcast or a blog or something online just so that I can start living with more freedom in my life. 
and to bring the knowledge that I've learned over over the past, I mean, years um, to people that really need it who are in the same position just as myself. And I think if you're listening to a podcast called Ancestral Health Radio, obviously you're you're interested in in these core messages like where do we come from uh you know what how do we marry the idea of of the creature comforts of today and still learning about and practicing and respecting the traditions of our ancestral past you know how do we how do we how do we blend those two lives together because we understand that it's not about going all the way you know, we can't talk about this linearly as Peter Michael Bauer. You'll hear him talk about that later in, in, in uh, the next podcast episode. Um, it's hard to talk about ancestral health linearly because we're essentially trying to create a new culture for ourselves. And that's what this podcast is, guys. I'm really trying to create a culture of other rewilders who are interested in learning practical steps on how to rewild their life in every, just in, in, in a lot of different ways, a lot of different aspects, because rewilding is not simply uh, your movement and nutrition, as Frank Forensich um, talks about with the long body. It is also the habitat and tribe. You know, it's a full holistic picture. And how do we do this? How do we go about doing this? So, for myself personally, it has been a lot of experimenting. And I would say that it's been a lot of, um, before I got to rewilding, it was, it was definitely living a paleo lifestyle and then biohacking on the side. And what's funny about biohacking is that a lot of these things are, are just rewilding principles or ancestral or traditional principles that are now being revived. So it's really funny to me, like all these sleep schedules and sleep routines, when really all it is, is you're waking up. To the sun, you're going to bed when it gets dark. I mean, it's really that simple. And then obviously, uh, we're we're now validating sun gazing and grounding, or you know, all these negative effects of EMF radiation. Hey guys, real quick, after listening to this episode, I need you to answer two important questions for me. Number one, what is your biggest frustration when it comes to ancestral health and or rewilding? And number two. Where do you go to get your information? What websites, blogs, or people online do you follow? That's it. So again, number one, what's your biggest frustration when it comes to ancestral health or rewilding? And number two, where do you go to get your information? By answering these two questions, you help me create the content I know you not only want, but need. So again, guys, thank you. That's it. I super appreciate it. You can email me your answers after the show at james at ancestralhealthradio.com. And so uh, there's a lot of practical strategies that one can do uh, for personal use of rewilding. But then again, we don't just want to talk about what we can do for ourselves, but what can we do for other people? How do we make rewilding more accessible to other people? Because I think that's the most important part is what are the barriers to entry? How do we break those barriers down with healthy, rich communication? And then how do we, um, how do we build communities that respect, uh, traditional culture, uh, Aboriginal culture, as well as educate others and are accepting, um, and, and, and want to move forward with these type of things. You know, it's, um, 
I'm still figuring it all out. You know, I'm not a guru in this area yet. You know, I'm not even trying to be a guru. I'm all, I'm forever a student. I love this saying called Shoshin or beginner's mind. Uh, it's, it's, unfortunately I have the curse of knowledge. That's what happened over the past four years trying to start an online business is I began knowing too much and it was really hard for me to just push through something without feeling like I was going to miss anything. Right. At this point in my health journey, I pretty much have my nutrition side down. Um, the rewilding, uh, certain rewilding practices down the things that I personally am struggling with right now and that I'm going to be working on in 2017, which you guys will be following along with me is a hunting. Hunting is a big part of the culture. This is something that we need to reconnect with on a visceral level. We need to be more connected with our food. If that's something that if you're coming in through it through a food side, you understand that hunting is definitely going to be a part of this equation. It's going to be part of the bigger picture, as well as um, learning how to identify bioregionally um, your environment, your trees, your mushrooms, um, shrubs, different types of plants and herbs. We need to be able to recognize these things. And, and like I tell everybody, this is just preventative medicine. That's how I think of rewilding. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's not going to help if we need to learn these things while disaster and catastrophe is already happening before us. You know, we need to be prepared. I hate to sound like a prepper or whatever, which I'm not necessarily a huge prepper. I never came into it from that side. However, we will be exploring that. Um, it is important to understand that, that it is a preparation, um, that this is all so that we learn these skills and we can pass them on because they're absolutely necessary for a sustainable lifestyle. And we're going to have a lot of amazing guests here. Um, a lot of people you may have heard and a lot of people you definitely have not heard who are big time believers in rewilding and ancestral health and how to um, kind of bridge that divide between our modern technology and again, our inherent ancestral wisdom. You'll be hearing me saying that a lot because that is a, a cornerstone of what I believe this podcast is about is kind of bridging those two worlds. Because again, there are going to be several spectrums to this uh to this practice. There are going to be people who are coming in who have never even heard of paleo probably, but they're, they hear ancestral health and it clicks for them. However, there are going to be people who are in these small hoop cultures who I don't even know if they, you know, are even going to have access to listening to a podcast, but they are so far down that path that, you know, it's again, how do we, how do we bridge that? How do we, how do we, um, you know, that's the question. How do we go about bridging that divide? And um, so I want to delve a little bit into some of the strategies that I do, you know, um, what helped me rewild, okay? And I guess it's important for me, and again, I'm not an expert in any one of these things. I'm just a generalist. I bring on the experts so that they can go deeper on a vertical plane so that you can help, so that you can help other people understand exactly how this works from your from your own unique perspective. But that's where I'm coming at it from as a almost like a Sherpa. I want to guide you just a couple steps ahead of you, not a guru somewhere high up on a mountaintop and you're just, you know, all the way down on the bottom left looking up. So we're going to do this together. And I want to share a little bit of the practices and a few of the things that I like doing that that help rewild my lifestyle. 
And, uh, you know, for me, it all starts with food, obviously. Uh, the diet is huge for me. And right now, what, what does my diet look like? What does that look like personally? Um, right now, it's, it is definitely a, a higher fat, lower carbohydrate type diet. I do believe in Daniel Vitalis's conscious omnivory, where we eat from all kingdoms of life. Um, so those kingdoms would be animal, plant, fungal, and bacterial. So I believe that the most important part of the food equation is actually water. Okay. Um, that is the most important part as far as what you're putting into your body. If you're a male, you're 70% water, dude. You need to hydrate. Okay. And I hear a lot of um, different ways of learning how to figure out how much water you should be drinking, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, take your body weight, multiply that by 0.66. That gives you a rough estimation of how many ounces you should be drinking, uh, so on and so forth. I mean, there are so many different strategies. The main point is that you're getting quality water. Okay, what do I mean by quality water? What is this, um, this, this good H2O that I'm talking about? Well, number one, the best stuff on earth is free. The best water that you could possibly find. The water that has is essentially, um, well, at least the water that I drink is is from an underground aquifer. It's been filtered through miles and miles of uh, of um, lava tunnels, and it's been running over agate crystals. I mean, this stuff tastes magical. I mean, it, if you haven't tried spring water, truly one hundred percent raw spring water. Um, you know, it's kind of an eye opener because when I give it to people, I love I love just giving people a taste of this. You know, because the look on their faces is, is absolutely hilarious. They'll taste it and then they'll do this one of these things, right? So, they'll they'll take a big old swig out of my out of my my you know my big glass jug that I always carry around me. It's not quite a carboy, but um, and you'll see their eyes light up and then they they do they smack their lips like that was so crisp and they just can't quite put a word on it but they just the the word that typically comes to mind is refreshing refreshing is typically the word that comes to mind but i would begin by sourcing high quality spring water and how you can do that i mean i'm fortunate enough to live in the bay area and what i do is um, not only do i forage water for the plants on my patio and for my dog, but I, I also purchase spring water through a specific company. And um, I know that capitalism is a touchy subject for a lot of rewilders, so especially the ones who are deep into this and have been doing it for a long time. But you have to understand that, that in order for me to, to produce these podcasts, I need to somehow be making money. I need to somehow be offering products or services that at least I believe in and that I think the audience will get a lot from and that 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 helps both of us together symbiotically, right? So if you have any questions about that or you want to shoot me a message uh, why you think that's right or wrong or whatever, you can reach me at james at ancestralhealthradio.com. But know that um, I will be featuring some people who have products and services that I do believe in, um, but uh, it's what I want is mainly information. I want actionable how-to information on things that you can take away immediately from a podcast episode and go apply that immediately into your life afterwards. But um, again, back back to the water, I, I also purchase water from a company called Fountain of Truth. Um, they're in 
the high desert in Oregon, and their water is absolutely amazing. If you're on the West Coast, I would definitely give them a check. I would definitely check them out. Um, uh, beautiful glass bottles, 2.5 gallon carboys. Uh, they are absolutely. Uh, they ship them to you in air-cooled, um, eco-friendly uh, vans. You know, it really, really, really cool. And what you can do, and some of the things also, um, if you do decide to harvest your own spring water, you can find your own spring water by visiting www.findaspring.com. Um, that is also run um, by Daniel Vitalis and a few of his affiliates, but um, an amazing resource. I mean, essentially what findaspring.com is, is you go onto this website and you can find local springs near you that others have found. Um, they tell you the quality, not always, but sometimes these places can be a little obscure and harder to find. But when you find them, it is so rewarding and the water is so amazing that it is definitely worth the trek. Um, but uh, water is definitely someplace I would start out with. Remember that when you do harvest this water, it's good to keep them in glass bottles. Uh, specifically, uh, when you see those, when you order like a, a sparklets subscription or bottle, or you work in, um, you know, corporate and you, you go by the water cooler, those, those plastic bottles, those five gallon bottles that you see there, those are called carboys. Okay. They also make them in glass and you can purchase them online. Um, and you want to keep them in there because of the BPA and the leaching and, um, Personally, I just like glass. It doesn't it doesn't leave any flavor or taste to my water at all, and I'm just partial to it. You know, it's it's I just always have a glass bottle on me. That's just me. Um, I'll take that back from when I was working at Mother's and all those hippies got me to do that. So, um, but you know, that's always on me. Water is always on me. I always have water. I always have spring water. Spring water is life. Water is life. That is why the Dakota Pipeline right now is such a big deal. But I'm not going to get into that. Uh, maybe you can have a discussion about that on the Facebook group. I, you know, personally, I, I'd like to, you know, keep things less political and more action based um, on the Facebook page. But again, um, water is extremely important. Second part of that, I definitely believe is is the vegetables, you know, you, you or at least the quality protein. I guess if you were to choose between the two, are you going to be getting uh, quality protein or organic vegetables? I most definitely would recommend that you buy um, pastured and um, humanely raised animal products. Very, very important because the type of fats that we're looking for that are very satiating and um, nutritious to our body is is very different from from animals that are pastured versus just grass-fed and not finished or what have you. There's a lot of terminology that is thrown around these days from cage-free to organic to pastured, right? I mean, typically all I go, I, I go to the farmer's market and I buy pastured meat. I spend, I'm, I make sure that I allocate enough, allocate enough money in my budget that, um, you know, I spend a lot of my time and energy focusing on high quality foods, specifically the protein. And I try to vary it up. And some of these things that I like to do, I, I kind of have a, a template that I like to follow for my meals. And I, I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into this because I know that time is running short, but I'll kind of go over um, what my food strategies are for rewilding, exactly how I eat and what I do. And 
then maybe in another episode, we can go over some of the other strategies that I do to rewild my house, some of the red UV bulbs, uh, why I have those, um, why I walk barefoot, some of the the barefoot uh, footwear that I trust and recommend. There's a lot of things. And guys, if you have suggestions or if you have questions and you want answers, please let me know. I, this is this is what I want to do uh, for you guys so that we can we can make this lifestyle happen together. Um, we do rewild together. This, you know, as Frank Fornsich says, you know, nothing is done individually, at least successfully. Not in business, not in relationships, not anywhere on the face of the planet. So if we want to make this thing sustainable for ourselves as well as for the people that we care about, we need to band together. That's what this podcast is about, is trying to build a community of strongly uh, strongly committed individuals who understand that living closer to our ecology, closer to Mother Nature, um, is absolutely the best best ailment for any health issue that we have. So that is what Ancestral Health Radio is really all about. And um, so this is this is kind of a typical day of eating for me, right? And yes, I do put butter in my coffee. Yes, I put MCT oil or um, C8 oil or caprylic acid, as they call it, into my coffee. Um, I make a lot of crazy brews. You know, that's one of the questions I get asked a lot about. As a matter of fact, what the hell do you put in your coffee? And I'll tell you right now. So um, I actually use a specific type of mushroom coffee by Four Sigmatic. Uh, It has chaga and cordyceps. Um, Also, uh, actually, the, the one that I'm using right now has chaga and lion's mane, which helps with neurodegenerative disease. And uh, why that's so big to me and why mental health is such a huge deal for me is that I, you know, I didn't share this with you earlier, but uh, the first day that I moved here, the first day that I, I, I moved to San Jose in the Bay Area, uh, my, my father had been struggling with uh, Parkinson's and he had type 2 diabetes and dementia. And I got to see him before I left, but the, the day that I moved here, I got a call saying that he had passed away. So it's it's really difficult for me to talk about that, but it it's my mission to show people that you can you can have a hard life, you know, but you know there's always light on the other side and that there's always hope that um, neuroplasticity, you, you know, you you're not what you were yesterday is not what you are today. You can always become a better, stronger person, and that comes through awareness. That comes through the people that you surround yourself with and the choices that you make on a day-to-day basis. So again, let me go over kind of exactly what my, um, what my eating strategy is, but I just wanted to kind of illustrate why it's important that I really take care of my personal mental health because I, I see that there is a genetic um, predisposition for... for um, neurodegenerative disease in my family, as well as addictive addiction and other self-destructive habits. So it, 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 it's a lot for me. You know, I have a lot of strategies and it's a lot of discipline, but if you're serious about this, um, I'm willing to teach you the strategies on how to do that. But for me, uh, this is kind of what a typical day looks like. So again, yes, I start off my day with a fatty coffee, a bulletproof coffee, whatever you want to call it. But some of the things that I add in there is that mushroom coffee from Four Sigmatic, which again, um, 
is has uh, dual extracted chaga and li- and wild crafted li- lion's mane. Um, chaga, by the way, is an excellent mushroom for its immune boosting properties. Um, definitely look into that. Uh, and but on top of that, I add I add a tablespoon of grass fed collagen from. Um, Oh gosh, I, you know what? I forget what it is, um, but I'll be sure to put it in the show notes. Um, on top of that, I also add a little bit of cinnamon, um, just a fourth, a fourth a teaspoon of cacao powder, and um, let me see, cacao powder, uh, two tablespoons of grass-fed butter, and two tablespoons of C8 oil or caprylic acid, which is an exogenous ketone. Exogenous just means that it is uh, outside of the body, whereas endogenous means inside of the body. It's produced inside. So uh, exogenous means that I am consuming an outside source of uh, caloric energy. So that is ex- is essentially what I have in the morning with a little bit of hot water. It's an instant type of coffee. I mix that up with my little hand blender and I'm good to go for about, I mean, seriously guys, that and my spring water and that lasts me about until, I don't know, probably lasts me until 12, at least noon or, and that's just me sipping on it, you know, because it's, it's very viscous. It's thick. Um, I make about just two glasses of it and I just sip this and this really keeps me satiated throughout my day or at least until I, I I break my fast because I do practice something called intermittent fasting and I do this for a myriad of reasons specifically for the neurogenerative uh, benefits um, mental clarity um, digestive issues amazing also high fat is really good for that but again it's uh, um, I do it for a lot of reasons that I'll, I'll continue to outline as we get to know each other through different episodes and through different conversations we have with other, other experts or people uh, within the field so of, of human undomestication. Um, but so I have that coffee and that lasts me until about 12 to sometimes two o'clock. And during that time, I'm also sipping on my spring water. That's very important. And um, I add I add a little bit of sole, S-O-L-E, which is essentially a concentrated mineral liquid. You know, all I do is I take pink Himalayan sea salt crystals. I um, just soak that in um, spring water, just a little bit over the crystals so that it gets a, it's really, um, it's like a strong mineral salt. And then I, I just use a teaspoon of that and I throw that in for every like 16 ounces of water. So a teaspoon for every 16 ounces of water and that hyper hydrates me. So it really, really good stuff. That's just another hack. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll throw in, um, I'll throw in a few grams of creatine in there as well. Um, that's a biohack right there. Um, which helps with the synthesis of ATP or essentially the, um, energy, uh, for your body. So I will use that sometimes, but that'll usually typically again, last until noon, to two o'clock at which I will break my fast. And I almost always break my fast, guys. This is important. I almost always break my fast with fermented foods and bone broth. Very specific reasons why I do this. Um, Number one, it actually primes my gut bacteria. And uh, it's also an easier digesting food for when you're, when you're breaking, uh, when you're beginning to break down your fast, you don't want to eat a lot of protein while you're doing this. So typically what I do is I don't eat protein or at least animal proteins, unless it's eggs or sardines or something lower on the tropic pole. Um, 
So I typically leave my animal protein for the last meal of the day. So yeah, so I follow that up with uh, bone broth, uh, along which is extremely gut healing. Bone broth is extremely good for a leaky gut. If you do have that problem, if you're if you're essentially um, lowering your carb intake and you're trying to heal uh, uh, a leaky gut or uh, a messed up digestive system, but essentially all you need to know is it's it's very very healthy and beneficial to your gut microflora if you consume both bone broth and uh, some type of fermented food together, and that's exactly what I do to break my fast. From there, um, I will then have a giant salad. I have just the biggest salad you could possibly eat within your your lunch period, right? So I try to get a lot of greens in, and I make sure that that salad is extremely colorful. Big point. I make sure that that color or that that salad is extremely colorful. And one of my favorite salads, guys, is the Greek salad. I mean, it's almost one of the, it's probably the perfect salad for me. Uh, artichoke hearts, marinated, of course, amazing, high quality olive oil, uh, uh, pitted olives, both uh, Kalamata and regular green. Oh, they're so amazing. Um, I make a little olive oil with apple cider vinegar with some sea salt and cracked black pepper. That's kind of usually what I use for dressing along a huge power greens blend. Uh, usually, I typically get that from the farmer's market or from, you know, Sprouts or Whole Foods or, or whatever health food store you have near you. And, uh, you know, bell peppers, uh, red onions, uh, English cucumber, uh, feta cheese, in which I don't have very much cheese, but when I do have cheese, it's almost always aged or, um, you know, like blue or feta, uh, things like that. I guess, you know... Um, some of the stinkier cheeses, I guess you could say. I am a fiend growing up, you know, half being a, a an Irish Mexican kid that I am. Uh, I grew up loving Cotija. Oh my gosh, the salty flavor of that cheese is absolutely amazing. Anyways, um, I don't have much of that these days, but again, I do like to sprinkle a little bit of feta, a little bit of feta on top of that salad, and it goes a long ways. I'll typically add um, also some hemp seeds to that. And I love macadamia nuts, sardines packed in olive oil, um, you know, avocados when they're in season, by the way. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm getting into um, mushroom foraging. I'm very fortunate to live in uh, my backyard is the Santa Cruz Mountains, and we have some of the most amazing mushrooms in the world here. On top of that, um, you know, I'm very fortunate that in Central California, where I live, that just the quality of produce, the quality of protein that I have available to me is just extraordinary. So um, I know that that's not quite possible for everybody uh, who is going to be listening to this, but uh, definitely for me here in America, uh, specifically in uh, you know Central California where I'm at, it, I'm I'm definitely very very fortunate. Um, but again, the, when I get home, because uh, I usually have that at at work. And then when I get home, I have my last meal, which is uh, typically, again, a round of a, a little bit of bone broth and some type of fermented food to start that out with before I eat. And sometimes if it's high in protein, I will take a shot of um, of apple cider vinegar also uh, to help get the digestive juices flowing. But typically that will be some type of new meal with, um, I, I kind of have a, have a template, right? So I have uh, a fist, a fistful of protein, or a palmful of protein. And then I have two cups 
uh, one to two cups of cruciferous vegetables, and then two cups of dark leafy greens. And then I use a bunch of fat and oils to kind of cook those in, uh, either, you know, um, not to destroy, I, you know, I don't overly cook foods, but I like a lot of steaming practices, blanching, um, those type of things. And I like using my oven, dry heat, things like that. But, uh, Again, things are, are largely uh, not processed, but for the most part, uh, processing is, is an essential part of what humans do to extract nutrients. So I want people to understand that, that I am fully on board for cooking, for, um, for processing. Those, those are absolutely important. However, when it comes to franken foods you know, uh, or, or food-shaped products, that's an entirely different story. So it's it's different when you're uh, going to Whole Foods and you're purchasing a box of Epic Bars, right? You never had a relationship with that animal whatsoever. You went to a store, you purchased it, you popped, <laughs> you ripped open that plastic and you just popped some some meat product in your mouth, which sounds pretty nasty. But again, I, I love Epic Bars, but um, again, that's not typically what I would call Whole Food. That is simply a supplement. But uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at on my journey right now, guys. Uh, I have a compressed eating window. Um, I sometimes have a special shake if you know I can't get real food in. I you know I use this greens powder called uh, Green Vibrance, which also has a lot of probiotics and uh, uh, fibers in there that are really good for you, along with sea vegetables and a lot of. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it has some adaptogenic herb blend in there. Uh, along with uh, this special whey powder with colostrum, I usually mix that with a couple couple spoonfuls of powdered MCT oil with chia seeds, and then I again I I will um, mix that together with my spring water, and that comes together to be a really 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 nutritious meal. Is it tasty? <laughs> no, it's definitely not tasty. It actually, tastes terrible. I think most people that would taste it would hate me if I ever let them try it. But again extremely good for me. I'm at the point in my health journey where it's more like I eat for performance. I eat for, um, you know, also for taste, but, but I know how to really dial it in for my specific needs. And then of course, you know, I don't shy away from wild foods, um, such as rice and, and acorns and things like that when they're in season. So, you know, carbs again, aren't necessarily the enemy. I just know for myself, I need a lower carb intake than most people. Um, just to regulate the the insulin sensitivity in my body, um, simply because of the neurodegenerative diseases that run through my family. Um, but again, that's that's me, guys. In a nutshell, I mean, I'm learning hunting, I'm learning gathering, I'm learning how to. In this next year, I'm going to learn how to hunt and fish. Um, we're going to do that together. I'm going to find the experts, and we're going to learn how to how we can find the mentors that can teach us how to do this in. Uh, the most ancestral way possible, or at least in the most transitional way possible. Um, I really want you, I really want you guys to know how appreciative I am of you, and that this is a huge labor of love. It's taken me. I mean, guys, it's taken me four plus years to really put this out and put myself on the line. And I can tell you right now, it's only going to get better. Every episode, each new guest, I am only going to be getting better. And I want to hear the same from you. This is important. Um, if you know anybody who you think might be good, uh, a good fit for Ancestral Health Radio, please shoot me a message. That's also really important. You can reach me again at james at ancestralhealthradio.com. But again, uh, I will give you kind of a lineup of some of the people that I do have uh, for you coming up. Uh, I have Peter Michael Bauer, 
on his book, Rewild or Die. And I also have Frank Forensich of Exuberant Animal. Together we talk about, uh, you know, Frank and I talk about the long body experience in the short body blues. Um, Peter and I, I mean, that episode is is a gem. You You could listen to that over and over again and learn something new from it every time. But it, it, it's uh, just kind of a primer on exactly what rewilding is and some of the barriers to entry that, that might be keeping some of us from rewilding. But it's a really important episode. Uh, and again, it's only going to get better from here, guys. I appreciate you joining me. Uh, this was quite an experience, uh, quite cathartic for me. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, much gratitude. And um, hey, let's take a walk on the wild side. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ancestral Health Radio. If you like the podcast, do me a quick favor and head over to iTunes to leave an honest rating and review of the show. In this way, you not only help show your support, but you help us spread the word and place us higher in the rankings. If you can't do that, then share this episode on your favorite social media network or continue the conversation with the tribe and myself on the Ancestral Health Radio Facebook page. But remember, be sure to check out all the resources mentioned earlier in this episode by reading the show notes at AncestralHealthRadio.com. 